This is Continuum Drag, a weekly podcast where we watch sci-fi, fantasy, and everything in between. This week, Sequest 2032, Season 3, Episodes 10 and 13. October 28th, 62. Both leaders, President Kennedy and Nikita Khrushchev, they negotiated a way out of the crisis. Instigated a process of peacemaking that lasted till the end of the Cold War, 30 years later. None of this timeline, Captain. This isn't static. We're hearing it's fallout radiation from a massive nuclear attack. They've destroyed the planet. Welcome to Continuing Drag, the podcast that knows time isn't a circle, it's a straight line. I'm Luke, here with my co-host Jordan. What's real, Jordan? What's real? We'll always have the internex. We'll always have the internex. That's never been truer than right now for us. Yeah, that's right. Well, we've done it, Jordan. We've done our speed run of Sequest, and we've arrived at our last two episodes of season three. How do you feel? Do you feel like you're a better person? Mm, I don't know how I feel. I don't know how I feel about Sequest. I don't know how I feel about anything anymore. <laughs> Sequest has broken me. I like the third season of Sequest. I really do think it took it took a while, and unfortunately, by the time they figured out what the kind of show they were making and what the sort of stories they wanted to tell and in what tone... They were it was they were too far gone. I think they were just a show that no one wanted. I think the brand was tarnished, and I think they were just they were they were already going to be dead in the water. And they're like, no, no, we got it. And it's like too late. You're canceled. Well, I've got all that information for you right here, Jordan, because I found an article from a uh, website called The Companion that went into a interview with two of the writers from season three, Javier mm-hmm. Grillo. I'm going to mispronounce his last name, Grillo Marksach. And uh, uh, Narin, Narin Shankar, is that how you say it? You knew how to Nareen. say it the other day. Uh, Nareen Shankar. Nareen Shankar. Yeah. So they did an interview with them to kind of discuss uh, season three and the oddities of it. So I got, I got some factoids about it for you. Sure. Well, you know, we've already obviously discussed the turmoil of season one with creator uh, Rockney O'Bannon then passing mm. on the baton to showrunner Tommy Thompson, who was then later tossed off. And things obviously got worse in season two, but I kind of know why now. Is apparently in season two there was dual showrunners, uh, Patrick Ham- Hasberg and uh, David Burke. Mm. And Hasberg stayed in LA when the production moved to Florida, but Burke went to Florida with a team of writers as well. And apparently the feud started between the two of them, and they stopped talking to each other. <laughs> well, that's always a good sign for a TV show. Yeah, and as a result. Uh, you know, a lot of episodes were being written without consultation to the point that uh, an example I saw was that in season two, with a gap of one episode between them, there are two different demon possession episodes <laughs> that when it became obvious they had both written separate demon possession episodes, neither would back down. Well, I mean, honestly, I know you you liked it. Season two, I think we only watched a little bit of it. It was terrible. It was a terrible show. I'm surprised it made it to season three. I would love to see this dueling demon possessions. You know what we should have done? You should have watched one of them. I should have watched the other. And we just talked about it and see if like we could have actually gone through the podcast. As if they're the same episode. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Jordan, you're right. Season two is such a disaster. As we know, Roy Schneider wanted out and like, you know, creatively, uh, critically, uh, ratings wise disaster. So you're right. NBC actually had planned to cancel it and it was on its way out. They even had their replacement series lined up and ready to go for Sequest before season three. So season two was the end of Sequest. Right. And that replacement show was called Rolling Thunder, Jordan, a series about spies fighting crime in monster trucks. 
<laughs> I do not remember that show, and I'm going to guess why. Uh, NBC <laughs> realized at the last second this was a worse show than Sequest, and at the last minute gave Sequest a green light for a third season. Well, you know, if you think about it, you have a show that's not doing well, but they were like, oh, well, maybe we've got the sets, we've got the uniform, we've got the most of the cast. Maybe it's just another retool one more time, some more bandages on it, you know? Well, I mean, I guess if your other option was uh, spies and, and monster trucks, you're like, oh, wait, uh, this is as bad a mistake. <laughs> I like that it got that far. It was almost to production. I just like they're so desperate to replace it. The like worst idea they could find in the pile was the other option. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, w- I have to say that the world was really robbed of that show, huh? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There's nothing more sneaky than a spy in a monster <laughs> truck. <laughs> it's the sneakiest of the vehicles. <laughs> Anyway, um, only four writers stayed on onto the next uh, season, and then um, Shankar was brought on board because he had just finished up some TNG work, so he kind of came with that credibility. Yeah. Um, and they had still had two showrunners, but they got along better. It was Patrick Hapsburg, the guy who stayed in L.A., and then one of the uh, writers, uh, Clifton Campbell, ended up becoming new showrunners. And the, as we've seen, they really tried to shift the series to be more grounded, to be a, quote, more hard-edge show. Mm-hmm. Obviously, an example being the new Captain Hudson coming in, being a bit more of a military man. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were trying to do some new stuff, like the idea of killing off Lieutenant Brody was part of it. They wanted to like add an element of danger. They wanted to get the idea that anyone could die kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, they tried to bring the characters into it more. So there's a little more work to develop the characters who are on the show, which we've already noticed even just in the scripts mm-hmm. as we watch. The characters seem a little more drawn out. I wanted to bring up a couple things here. to For your two least favorite characters, they did try to like bring a little more to those roles. And I, I read some things that we haven't watched, but I thought you would enjoy. Dagwood in this season, apparently he's torn between his friends on Sequest and um, the plight of his people because he's a, a second-class genetically engineered life form. Hmm. Yeah, we've got none of that. Yeah, and apparently they're like second-class citizens on this world. So I guess there's some episodes where he's dealing with that. Uh, apparently, the pejorative for his uh, his kind are <laughs> daggers. <laughs> oh, let's call each other that. Daggers. Well, here's the thing: is the pejorative is daggers, but they're genetically engineered life forms, so they're also referred to as gelfs. <laughs> okay, what's more insulting? But that's not the pejorative. What's more insulting, though? A, a gel, a, a delf, or is that you said? Gelf, genetically engineered life form. Oh, I kind of like Gelf. I mean, Gelf just sounds like how you uh, how you sexualize them. <laughs> yeah, that old marble-headed cheese man's a real Gelf. <laughs> and then with Piccolo, they uh, they sort of tried to uh, elevate his character. He became the one that Hudson sort of takes under his wing, Captain mm. Hudson, really trying to like educate him on the ways of the military. And he apparently he uh, tried to help him out. He bought a lot of books, which we see in one of these episodes that mm-hmm. he gets a book for uh, for Piccolo. But apparently this is a, a running thing where he's trying to like educate Piccolo, give Piccolo like more of a classical education because as we know he's dyslexic. And Jordan, I'm sure you noticed this in this episode as well. And I was like, what a weird choice. But apparently Hudson also cured his dyslexia by giving him the pink sunglasses we see him wearing. Is that what that was? Yeah, apparently those pink sunglasses cure his dyslexia, allowing him to read books. There you go. But I will say this. Now, I have been reeled down on Tony, more so than maybe any character we've ever watched. I will say this. I was kind of surprised, especially in the last episode, how much of a massaging of the character could make him such a maybe not likable but not hateable character i didn't hate him up to this point i just every time he he came on scene i was like oh please let the scene oh and i hate him so much but then it was like he actually had something to do and he imagined could actually be like almost a three-dimensional character 
Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show the work that went into season three to kind yeah. of right the ship. I mean, as we know, though, too little, too late, and the ratings never recovered, and it was canceled mid-season, and that's what we're getting to with the episode 13, which I don't think ever aired. I think it was canceled after 12 aired, but 13 had been produced. So mm. we're right at the end, and, and this is the the last hurrah for the retooled Stequest. Yeah, a bit of a shame. I really do say, uh, I think if this was what the show had been from the beginning, maybe it wouldn't have caught an audience, and maybe it wouldn't have been... Um, a big hit, but I think it would be maybe re- remembered a little bit more fondly. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's a big question. It's like it's really shifted away from its kind of like sciencey underwater adventure to more of a military show. Mm-hmm. But it is it is the most coherent it's ever been. <laughs> yeah, and I th- and I would say this. I think um, we kind of joked about the idea of it just being under the water, but I it didn't seem like such uh, an anomaly, such an odd setting a- anymore. It was just like, oh yeah, it's under the water, as opposed to like. We're under the water. Oh, what do we do now? That's what it felt like in the first season. And the second season, it was like, I don't know, aliens. <laughs> you know? I know. I hear you. Um, but before we get into it, Jordan, do you have a little game you want to play? I do. Uh, it's something we've done before. I think it's uh, interesting to see people's careers. We're going to do a little bit of uh, Guess That Role. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, how this uh, how this works is I'm going to give you a bunch of actors and I'm going to give a bunch of random roles and you're going to see if you can tell just based on uh, either I guess the look of the person or the the acting ability of the person or the age of the person or whatever it may be you are going to use your uh, Sherlock Holmes abilities to to navigate through this I'm going to base it on the look of the person if it's my choice <laughs> it's just the look of the person so obviously we have three seasons of people that we have to of actors that we need to go through so I picked a few of them uh, I have <laughs> one two three four five six seven eight people great so with the people we have options are we have Roy Scheider we have Michael Ironside we have Don Franklin, Jonathan Brandis, Elise Neal, Kathy Evison, uh, Ted Ramey, and Michael DeLuise. Those are our people. No uh, other DeLuise kid? Just one DeLuise? <laughs> I just picked one DeLuise. Fair enough. Okay, well, let's get into it. The first role, um, do you want me to give you all of them, or do you want me to do, you want to do one at a time? Why don't I give you all the roles? Yeah, give me them all. Okay. This person played TJ in 13 episodes of the 2004 to 2007 show Gilmore Girls. Hmm. This person played the role of Hoffman in the first three Spider-Man movies, uh, the Tobey Maguire ones that came out from 2002 to 2007. Who could it be? <laughs> I know. I, I've given you a couple to try to make it easier. This person played Frank Castle Sr. in 2004 as the Punisher, Punisher's dad. This person played Penny Ryan in the 2000 TV movie uh, of Murder, She Wrote, called Murder, She Wrote, A Story to Die For. (laughs) This person played the voice role of Sam Fisher in the uh, Splinter Cell video games. Uh, This person did the voice in multiple games. Next, we have uh, an actor who played Haley in 1997's Scream 2. Next to, we have someone who played the young Bill Denenborough in the 1990 TV miniseries It. The first version of uh, Stephen King's It. And finally, this person played Noah Dixon in 43 episodes of the 1989 to 1992 show, excuse me, The Young Riders. Young Riders. I wonder what that was about. Motorcycles or horses, do you think? Horses. Oh. Yeah, it's one or the other. Let's see what I can do here. Quick question. Michael DeLuise, is he Piccolo or is he the other one? Oh, uh, Michael DeLuise is... 
Uh, he's uh, Michael Delaweez is the uh, um, uh, Tony. Tony Piccolo, great. Well, Jordan, I feel relatively confident in my Good. choices here. Uh, but I, one of them I feel very unconfident, which tells me I've messed up somewhere. <laughs> okay. Well, why don't I read the roles and you tell me if you, if you think you got the person. So who do, who do you think played TJ in uh, Gilmore Girls? I put down Michael DeLuise for that one. Okay. Next. Who do you think played the role of Hoffman in the three Spider-Man movies? Well, that's Ted Raimi, of course. Okay. Who was uh, Frank Castle Sr. in The Punisher? I'm thinking Michael Ironside. Okay. Who do you think played Penny Ryan in the Murder, She Wrote TV movie, A Story to Die For? Kathy Emerson? Which, who was she on the show? <laughs> uh, Kathy uh, Everson is uh, Lonnie Henderson, Helmsworth Lonnie Henderson, the one who has the mm, love okay. affair with uh, 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 Commander Ford. And she shows off those great pipes she has, those guns. That's right. She in those sleeveless shirts. That's right. Uh, who do you think played the voice of Sam Fisher in the Splinter Cell video games? I think it was... I don't remember the actor's name. He uh, he's Commander Ford, Don. Um, oh, Don Don Franklin. Don Franklin. That's my guess. Don okay. Franklin. Who do you think was in Scream Two, playing the role of Haley? Uh, Elise Neal, I believe her name is. Okay. And we got two more. Someone was a young Bill Denebrough in the TV miniseries It in 1990. Well, I do remember that is Jonathan Brandis. Okay. And the final role, we've got this person was Noah Dixon in 43 episodes of The Young Riders, The Riding Here's Horses. Here's the thing. That only leaves Roy Schneider. So I put Roy Schneider in Young Riders, but it doesn't seem like he'd be a young rider. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you. You, you can't four right. And you, you had one that you didn't get right. And I think if you got it, it would have would have really helped you. So you were right with Michael DeLuise. He played TJ in Girl More Girls. Okay. It was Ted Raimi in the Spider-Man movies, of course. That was a of little uh, bit of a gimme. It was actually Roy Scheider played in The Punisher. He was uh, Frank really? Castle Sr. Yeah, I apparently. I he'd be dead by then. <laughs> no, no, he was still around. You were correct again about Kathy Everson. She was in the Murder, She Wrote TV movie. Uh, Michael Ironside actually did the voice of Sam Fisher in multiple games. I think he's been replaced oh. since, but he did about, I don't know, three or four of those games. Real gravelly voice. Uh, you were correct on both Haley in Scream 2 and, uh, of course, Jonathan Brandis in uh, the miniseries It. So you got both those. Elise Neal was in Scream. And, unfortunately, you were also wrong for – it was Don Franklin who was in uh, 43 uh, episodes of The Young Riders. He was like a sexy young thing, you know? So I got five, not four. One, two, three, four. You were correct. You got five. Excuse me. Very Yes, you got five <laughs> at eight. Pretty good. Sorry, my counting. Here's a quick question for you. Yeah. Uh, off t- not off topic, but somewhat off topic. Mm. If Jonathan Brandis is young Bill Denebro or whatever in It, who was the old one? Was it Which sitcom star was the old version of him? Oh, you know what's funny? I'll look it up. I have a feeling it's um, What's-His-Face from um, uh, Three's Company. Wasn't he in that? He is. Uh, but there's also, there's also a few sitcom stars who I'm imagining could have been Bill Denebro's, but I can't remember who would have aged up from... Uh, whoever aged up from Jonathan Brandis was being very flattered either way. <laughs> You're saying if if he played a young version of yourself, it's it's a it's a nice compliment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd be lucky to be a young Jonathan Brandis. Well, it was Richard Thomas. Who's Richard Thomas? You know Richard Thomas because he was uh he was John Boy in the Waltons and he was in that movie where I certainly don't know him as okay, John hold on. in the Waltons. Okay, one come on, we all watch the Waltons. Secondly, um How old be- are you? <laughs> <laughs> remember remember that TV movie we watched where the guy found out all his family were aliens and his his wife's new husband was an alien and they lived they had a diner 
And I think uh, um, what's his face? Oh, was you saying the invaders? You're talking about the invaders. invaders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he was the uh, the husband in the invaders. You'd recognize him if you saw him, John Boy. I would not. I have no idea who this person is. I thought it would be you know one of the sitcom guys. Well, yeah, he was in he was in. <laughs> Anyways, it doesn't matter. It's Richard Thomas. You know who he is. I don't. I don't know who he is. <laughs> it's not Harry. An- it's not Harry Anderson. It's not John Ritter. It's not Tim Curry. <laughs> Those are the only ones I know. Right. Okay. All right, let's move on. It's time to get into this episode. Okay, let's do it. Here's the IMDb summary for Season 3, Episode 10, Second Chance. A reactor accident sends Sequest back in time to an alternate 1962 where Cuban Missile Crisis turned to nuclear war. The only chance to put things right again is to travel further back in time and prevent the first shot from being fired. Mm-hmm. And as the episode begins, Jordan, you'll never guess, it's Tony Piccolo's birthday. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, let me say something right off the bat. How do, how do you like um, uh, time travel episodes? You like them? I like Tony Piccolo's birthday better. Do you? You like Tony Piccolo's better? His birthday specifically better than time travel. Very excited to find out his birthday, October twenty eighth. Congratulations, happy birthday, Tony Piccolo. I hope you have a nice one. Yeah, I, I'll say again. He's much much less annoying in this episode. So I was like, oh, he's not the worst character I've ever seen. Anyway, to your question, I always enjoy a time travel episode. Sometimes they're bad, sometimes they're good, but it's it's always fun. Especially, I think, this late in the show's run to have some characters hop back in time. It's just an easy way to have a fun outing. I think so, too. And I think they oh, I think they mostly succeed in this. Because I think it is it is a thing. It's a win. It's People just like seeing a fish-out-of-water story. The characters have to get in clothing and stuff. And I, I kind of wish they had leaned a little bit more into that. I think it would have added a fun element to the to the characters but i think it's mostly successful yeah i mean i think it's a little perfunctory overall like they just hit the yeah. beats you expect them to but you know whatever there it's it's not the best it's not the worst version i would agree um but other than P- tony piccolo's birthday sequest has also been having some reactor issues uh mm-hmm. they've had to replace a part and when they turn the reactor back on it causes a discontinuity to occur and a black harm a black hole forms in the reactor. Um, but when they try to shut it down, or as they say, quote, scram it, uh, it's too late. <laughs> I, you know, originally uh, that was going to be my what's real. I just had scram it written because I love that. That's the best thing I've heard since uh, Bart Simpson told Mill has to slag off. <laughs> scram it. But yeah, so there's a space time discon- uh, dis- discon- discontinuity. Whoa. And, and it, I thought the special effects were kind of funny. You get a lot of shots of like Sequest and there's like, it almost looks like cartoon, like lightning bolts and stuff shooting out of it. But the whole point is a black hole forms. They're like, we can't stop this. They go through the black hole. Yeah. Yeah. It's just a big energy ball forms around Sequest. It looks like a plasma ball. You put your hands on to make your hair stand up. And they're just like, Hey, there's a hole in the discontinuity. Let's just drive through it. And they're like, great, let's go. Yeah. I do like that. They're just like, let's just get into it. And I, I I like that they didn't spend too much time. I didn't need them to explain the black holes too much. They did just enough. I was like, it's fine. We just need a vehicle to get them there. But but I like how they got around. I thought it was a pretty funny way of the reason we really need to know that it's Tony's birthday is that he knows major events that happen on his birthday. I think some people know like celebrities that might have been born on their birthday or whatever, but he knows something specific on his birthday because it was the end of the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. Well, and he's also a big fan of the 60s, as we see with the gift he gets from yes. Andrew Hudson, a book, a biography on Elvis Presley. Yeah, and I think uh, that was seeded pretty well um, for the amount of time they had. Again, I think they could have leaned into that better as being like, 
well, if Tony is an expert on the sixties, they should have, they should have had him kind of leading this thing and kind of, uh, uh, showing them how to talk and walk sort of thing. But, and they, they don't really want to do it, but I think it worked well enough that as a viewer, you're like, okay, this makes sense. Why they know all these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's shorthand. They do skip mm-hmm. the fish out of water period because they just don't have time for it where he would like teach them how to walk and talk. But, you know, it's sort of there. He dresses yeah. them up anyway. Yeah. And and as I said, the reason I mentioned the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, the Bay of Pigs, is that as soon as uh, old Lucas, uh, who now has like an actual role, and I think it works well for his character, uh, he is doing the test to see where they're at. They find first thing they do is they find a boat playing music, right? They hear like, you know something's wrong because things seem weird, their sensors aren't acting properly, and they see a boat on their view screen, and there's uh, what we know as a viewer, um, like an old 60s song playing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. They pop out of the wormhole that brings them there. Everything's a little off. I don't fully understand. They do this a few times in the episode just to like get through it, but like they're like, our sensors have determined the date is October 28th, 1962. And I'm just like, your sensors figured out the date? Yeah, it is a weird thing you have to just, I guess, roll with, which is, I don't know. It's like, it's always just knows what the date is. I don't know how you would do that because time is a bit of a construct. So, but yeah, the point is they're now just after where the, uh, the nuclear standoff should have finished, except what we're going to find is in this version of the world that they've gone back to or this other dimension or whatever they say, um, the nuclear weapons were armed and fired and the world has been destroyed for all intents and purposes. But now exactly. Lucas go- Lucas goes to quite a bit of a, a little mental gymnastics to mention that like it's not a different dimension or all these. I'll explain that of, to you if you like. Yeah, so ex- explain that. Well, their sensors are able to also determine that this is not an alternate reality, that the uh, singularity they went through was unidimensional. So this is their timeline. And if in their timeline, the Cuban Missile Crisis results in the destruction of the world, they realize the implication of this is that the Sequest was involved in resolving the crisis in some way. And the time travel logic here is a bit of a mess because they're just saying it's like we haven't gone to an alternate world where, where this happened we're in our timeline and we're saying that sequest now needs to like be involved in the end of the nuclear crisis except what's missing is if this is a singular timeline we don't see how sequest would have set off the nuclear war to cause this future like so there's no there's no inciting incident that changes the timeline the timeline is just wrong for some reason yeah it's it's and they get over it fast, and I think the reason they get over it fast is just this point. There's a weird plot hole there, and they're just like, but that's what it is. We have always stopped this problem, so that's what we have to do, because that's what created our history. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, though, why the problem existed to start with. But yeah, they just skim past, because like, we don't have an answer. Shh, time is a straight line. <laughs> yeah, and I know this is maybe forgiving. I, I I saw that, too, and I was like, eh, I'm fine with it. Whatever. <laughs> I mean, I know it's I know it's a little dumb, but like, who cares? Just get into it and enjoy yourself. Yeah, yeah. Well, they go up and uh, they check out that boat that they hear the radio waves coming from, and what they find is there's a Navy intelligence officer named Commander Van Camp who's dying of radiation, and mm. his dead family all around him. Just so many dead children. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and so, and they all I should say uh, all the Sequest goes in in like radiation suits, so yeah, they're all yeah, kind yeah. of protected because the world is entirely radiated. So they go in. It looks like everyone's dead. Just before they're like, oh, everyone's dead. Um, this uh, uh, 
military guy. I can't remember what you said his name was. Van Camp? Von Kamp. Von Kamp. He uh, falls out and he's like, eh, I'm not dead. And they're like, get him onto the sick bay. Yes, yes. And there as he's dying, he explains that the nuclear war was set off by an unknown U.S. sub that left its assigned patrol and torpedoed a Soviet freighter that hadn't crossed the U.S. blockade of Cuba yet. This attack, uh, this unwarranted attack, set off the nuclear war. And um, when he, you know, in a classic form for one of these time travel episodes, when the dying man looks up and sees marble-faced Dagwood walking by, he freaks out and realizes they're from the future, and he begs them to go back and stop the war. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I like, and I don't know how much detail we need to get into this, but they're going to go, they're going to, like, recreate the black hole so they can do that, so they can go further back into the past to try to, do what this guy's asking which is to try to prevent this nuclear disaster but i don't know they they decide do they decide exactly the time or do they just it's just the best they can do because they they end up going two days previous no no they are like we can easily recreate the singularity they do some math and figure out if they shoot a torpedo into the energy sphere yeah. like two degrees to the left the port will just take them back two extra days so they they do the math on this by the end of this episode, Sequest has unlocked the power of time travel and how to control it with, like, a great degree of certainty. Uh, I'm sure it never comes back up, but, like, the, the implications of this episode are quite something. <laughs> well, they actually call it later on, um, one of the characters we meet, the Brittany Murphy character, she's like, you guys can time travel? And they're just like, hmm. I was like, no, no, you can. You apparently can. You can. It's not a problem for you guys. Um, but uh, I do like, though, the going back two days assumes that they know that that's when the problem was, was two days before. Who? What if the problem was a week before or a month before? They don't know. Why wouldn't you want to go as far back as possible and then uh, get well, a lay know, of the land? They know the sub went out of alignment like uh, on the day of the nuclear crisis. So they know they, they know what day it's happening. I'm just saying, give yourself a little bit of a buffer. You just want a little extra time to get ready. Yeah, get a little extra time. Go listen to some, go maybe go see an Elvis Presley concert. <laughs> For his birthday. Yeah, exactly. Well, Jordan, they don't need to go that far back because the plan is simple. Stop the rogue U.S. sub. To do that, they just need to get the sub patrol assignments from the Florida Navy base. So uh, Commander Ford is going to put together a team to go to shore. He's got himself. He's got Lieutenant Henderson. He's got mm -hmm. Lucas. And he's got Piccolo, master of the 60s. That's They're right. ready to go. So the dream teams come together. Yeah. And, uh, and we find out uh, real quickly that Tony stole the keys from the dying guy for reasons or off a dead body yes yes he stole the keys to the boat from one of the dead bodies had them <laughs> deradiated whatever you do decontaminated and he's yeah. just like stole these keys in case we need them <laughs> and they're like you're a grave robber and they're like but a good grave robber and he's like thanks man <laughs> so they're able to go to shore they're able to raid the van camp's boat and, and steal the keys and uh and they're ready to go although i do have a question for you just a little side note just mentioning these keys and like dead bodies they brought obviously the dying man back to Sequest to treat him, but they also brought all the family's bodies. What did Sequest do with all those bodies? Did they bring them with them? Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe they just shot them out. I was just like, is this weird that you've now time traveled and brought like dead bodies back in time? Is this a problem? I mean, it, apparently not because you can't alter the timeline or can you? I don't really understand this time travel. Here's what they probably did. They opened another black hole, shot a missile a couple of inches to the right, and then when it opened, they just shot the bodies into that and go, just there you go. Them out. Torpedo them out to another time. Anyway, um, as the team is raiding the Van Camp boat for clothes, uh, the Van Camp daughter, Christine, drops by. As you mentioned, 
played by Brittany Murphy. Big mm-hmm. surprise cameo. Mm-hmm. Which is funny because you had mentioned an actress a few episodes ago. I think you said her name was Brittany Snow. Yes. And I thought this is who you meant. I thought you meant Brittany Murphy. And then I, you explained it. I'm like, oh, it's not Brittany Murphy. So I was shocked to see Brittany Murphy appear <laughs> then later. I was like, oh, Brit- here's Brittany Murphy, the one I thought I Jordan was talking about. Yeah, and she's going to become like kind of the... Again, you say they don't really lean so much into what you think they're going to do, which is the fish out of the water thing. But she's going to be sort of the person who's going to take them through all the hurdles they need to do in the 1960s and at, at the same time be like, things are different then, am I right? Yeah, yeah. She would have been the tour guide in a more typical episode. Yes. This is like a longer feature film version. <laughs> but doesn't it feel like they're, they're really racing against time? Like, I know they actually are in terms of the episode of what they need to do, but this is like, they're like, no time for anything. There's no time for fun. And I was like, guys, take a breath. Yeah, it's just too much plot to get through, that's for sure. It does feel yeah. like they're racing. I mean, mm-hmm. she catches them... They have no plan. They, they just pull out their guns on her and they're like, sorry, babe, we're going to have to kidnap you because we're from the future. Like they just announced they're from the future. And she's just like, I think you're probably Soviet spies. And they're like, no, no, we're from the future. And they're like, she's like, mm, I don't think so. So it's a great scene because Lucas comes over and tries to calm her down. He's like, listen, we just have to kidnap you for a little while. It just just till we can complete our mission. And then she kicks him in the nuts. And I was yeah. like, pretty good. <laughs> And yeah, and and that's going to be a beat that we're going to get a few times over, which is them being uh, explicitly honest with her, being like, "We're from the future. We're trying to stop this uh, impending disaster." And she's Check just out like, "Our laser guns were holding on you." Yeah, and she's just like, eh, "I think you're Russian spies." And this goes on a few times. Uh, I mean, there's going to be a, a a weird thing of like, back then there was racism, not like now. Well, let's talk about that now. Cause yeah. Like, they're driving to the sub base, the, the the Navy base, and they've got her like with them in the in this convertible she's driving. As they're driving by, like a, a car full of burly teens drives by, and mm-hmm. Christine gives them a little wave, and they're kind of like checking her out, and they're and they're eyeing up the car full of people. I did not expect Sequest to just want to deal with the concept of like six, the sixties and racism. I just thought they might gloss over it just because it was a lot to deal with. But when they pull over to break into the Navy base, these teen boys pull up in their car. They've been following them the whole time. And when the teen boys get out, they pull out bats and it's quite clear they're intent on committing a hate crime, a very yeah. bad hate crime. <laughs> yeah. It's a whites only beach. And, um, uh, uh Commander I mean, here's Ford. the thing, Jordan. It's kind of wild that Christine's plan was to cause a hate crime to happen in the effort to escape. Like, it becomes clear. It's just like, I did this to make a hate crime happen so I could escape. Well, yeah, it's funny because I don't even know when this happened. She was just like, when they come, when these, uh, like, kind of uh, hoodlums show up and with baseball bats, you think they're just, like, hateful people. But not that they're not hateful people, but they're there because she told them to be there. And she was like... Oh, I wanted them to come, not to kill you, just to, like, beat you up a little bit. And I was like, but when did she even have time to do that? She did. She waved at them when they went by. Like, she was trying to draw attention to what was happening. But was that, that's that's what she was signaling to them? Beat them up a little bit? She was like, look at me. I'm a young white teenager with a black man driving a car. Like, she Mm. was, like, lit. She was making it clear to them that something, like, not odd was happening, but she was, like, trying to attract their hatred. Right. Which, which works. Um, I like, though, that it's, it's settled with, like, them being like, well, here we go. And then the, the, everyone is the Sequest team just pulls out their like laser guns and just shoots them all. I was like, great. <laughs> well, what I liked is what we see is like all these white teens coming to them after Commander Ford with a baseball bat. And Commander Ford then has to explain to his white colleagues what racism is because they're like, we don't remember. And he's just like, oh, I remember. Thanks for blocking that out, everybody. 
Like, yeah. it's just like all the white people are like, racism, never heard of it. And Commander Ford's like, I'm going to die in a second. Well, that's the thing. Even if it was like, it's it's such a funny thing is even if we're going to believe in 2032, we are a, a better world where people aren't being racist or aren't being hateful. I think it's I think it's a little bit of a short window to get to that point. But even if somehow we got there, it's not as if like 10 years or 20 years or even 30, 40, 50 years, you wouldn't have looked back and said, oh, I know what 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 was happening. Like, it's such a silly thing of them being like, everything's fine now. I mean, it's a bit of unintentional social commentary. It's very funny where, like, the only the only black team members is like, yeah, yeah, listen, people hate my race back back then. And ever was like, I never heard of that before. I don't yeah. think that's true. <laughs> yeah. On, on a lesser note, um, uh, when uh, uh, Brittany Murphy's character tests them to see if they're Russian spies and uh, she asks who won the World Series and he says it was the Paris Lasers, which I also like. Uh, not only is, is uh, racism gone in 2032, but apparently uh, Paris, France has a baseball team. <laughs> yeah, I know. I also thought that was funny. The Paris Lasers are winning the World Series. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, we'll move past this. It's just a very strange, interestingly weird scene. Well, well and what we can say, though, it's you almost want to commend them for doing something i think i thought the same thing they're going to kind of gloss over the uncomfortable things right but they don't but then it's like they also don't spend any time with it so it's i don't know if i what's worse like just not mentioning it or mentioning it in a kind of really weird and sloppy way do you know what i mean like it's like i i don't know it's like i guess good that they took the 30 seconds for this weird scene i mean yeah i think it's more interesting that they acknowledged it Though it is just mostly used as like it's just a, it's just a plot conflict to like pause the action temporarily. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just it's done with a very weird tone. So I was like, I don't know how I feel about this, but anyways, as we are, I mean, it definitely raises questions. It's just like, yeah. Obviously, Brittany Murphy's afraid she's been kidnapped, but her solution is to cause a hate crime to happen. I'm like, well, this is a weird way to feel about this character. Now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway. They laser gun all the racists, they run <laughs> off, and they're immediately arrested by the military police and Christine's dad, Commander Von Kamp. So, like, they go from that to immediately being arrested. <laughs> yeah, and they're arrested because um, they, they think they are uh, Soviet agents or Soviet spies. Yeah, yeah, and they're just like, no, no, their interrogation with Von Kamp, they're like, we're from the future, we're, we're from the future, why don't you listen to us, we're from the future. <laughs> They don't make any effort not to hide it. This, uh, and and this is maybe not a fair comparison. Um, this reminded me a little bit of that Deep Space Nine episode where uh, Quark and the uh, the rest of the Frangi are back in, in the World War II um, military base. Um, obviously, yeah, well, that's, it's not World War II. It's when they commit, when they become Roswell, when they like are the aliens right. on Roswell. That's right. But yes, Excuse me. It did feel a lot like that. I do agree. Yeah, it, it is, and it's not too far off in terms of the time. I appear it's a few years different. Um, that was obviously a little bit of a better uh, better episode held with a little bit of a more deft hand. Um, I mean, but, it felt this, that was a comedy and this is like a thriller. That's the difference. Yes, yes. And I think I think that's a good point, though. I think maybe I would have liked this a little bit more. And I can say I like this episode, but I think it could have been better if there was a few comedic moments to sort of break up this, like, action story that's not really that much action as much as like hitting beats so we can get to the end yeah yeah it's very forward momentum heavy that's what's the problem is there's no time to have any fun really um, yeah but you know commander van camp's not buying that they're from the future because why would he um and uh commander ford tries to convince him by telling him he's like in the future we found your son dead wearing his saint christopher's medal like irradiated beyond belief and um he's just like 
uh, my son doesn't have a St. Christopher's medal. Joke's on you. And then he walks out of the he walks out of the interrogation room. The phone rings. He picks it up. He's like, it's his wife. He's like, hello, wife. And she's like, hello, husband. Guess what I just did? I had 10 minutes ago, I just bought our son a St. Christopher's medal. And he's just like, what, what, what? Yeah. I, and I like that. It would have been funnier, though, if he was like, well, I know that your son has a mole right beside his genitals. And he'd be like, he does have a mole right beside his genitals. You must be for the future. But they picked a much grosser. You think that uh, would be funny? <laughs> yeah, that'd be funnier. They picked a less grosser way of doing it. Um, but it again, everything is just in the service of doing this fast. So it's like, well, we have the beat of them captured. Now we need the beat of um, them having a reason to convince him. Now another beat of him being convinced. Boom, he's convinced. I like, though, that like he's almost there. And they're like, well, what if you go take this gun and shoot it? <laughs> well, there's the thing is, there's the beat of... His wife calls, I just bought my son a St. Christopher's medal, which is insane. Like, to go from yeah. walk out of the room and get that call. It's worth a and phone then, call. And then he goes and he pulls the keys that uh, Piccolo had out, the keys to his boat, and he turns to his daughter, Christine, and says, where are your keys? And she's like, right here. And they have two identical sets of keys. He's like, mm. oh, my God, maybe they're not lying. And then he goes out with their laser gun to the firing range, sets the laser gun to red setting, which I guess is full power, and then he explodes the entire firing range. It's just the entire firing range is a ball of fire. Yeah, and they sort of do a um, uh, uh, – an homage is not the right word, but in in his um, sunglasses, you can see they do the effect as like a mushroom cloud, sort of uh, reflecting what is going to be happening. I think it's supposed to be showing – um, him realizing that they are here to stop this nuclear disaster. I mean, plus it's a nice shot because because the destruction yes. is happening in his sunglasses. You don't have to see like the middling CG explosion <laughs> they would have had to do. Like they're able to like kind of cover it up by doing it it's, in sunglasses. It's a win-win for everyone. But basically, he's convinced now. Guess what? Yeah. He believes that they're from the future. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and this is the part where like um, well, we find that him back I, to Sequest a little bit. Yeah, and it's like, it's funny because. How much of this episode is not on Sequest? I was actually a little surprised that they didn't have the character of Hudson, who maybe is not technically the main character anymore, but he's, I guess, the lead of the show in some ways. Um, he's really relegated to, like, just being on the ship as all this stuff happening. And then the last third of the episode, they're like, all right, it's time for Sequest action. Yeah, yeah. Well, they go back to Sequest finally, and um, they're, they've been having some trouble of their own. They've been waiting around for this sub-patrol assignment to come back. And while they've been doing it, a, a Soviet freighter has been getting awfully close to the blockade. So mm-hmm. they take it upon themselves to laser off its propellers to keep it in place. Yeah, I mean, sure. But that explosion from their laser ends up attracting a U.S. sub away from its patrol sector to check out what happened. And I guess what they're saying here is this this is what set off the original mm-hmm. thing that nuked the world. The Sequest had been there, and it caused a sub to leave its patrol because it shot the Propeller. uh, propellers of this thing. And so this U.S. sub has sort of come into play, and the U.S. sub sees the freighter. It immediately fires some torpedoes at it, and Sequest has to intervene and, like, shoot some intercept missiles to destroy the torpedoes, which causes the U.S. sub to notice Sequest is there and fire a nuclear weapon at Sequest, which they're, I guess they say they're able to destroy it before the nuclear uh, warhead armed. But basically now they're in, like, this three-way stalemate. I guess the Soviet the Soviet freighter has no idea either of them they're there. Mm-hmm. But now the U.S. sub and Sequest are in a bit of a, a bit of a stalemate. Which brings us back to shore where Von Kamp has decided to help uh, Commander Ford and team. So he breaks them loose of the interrogation room, gives them back their guns, and then they like storm the storm the Navy base together 
in like an armed conflict with the other officers to raid the authentication codes for all the subs. Like I was just like, do you really need to like hold everyone at gunpoint? <laughs> well, this is the part of the episode that was a bit of a, a little bit of a mess. Cause it just was like, they're worried that they were going to run out of time. It's happened. They've run out of time. And now they're like, I don't know. They just like, they raid everything. They were shooting off propellers. Ah, it's like, I was like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. And they get the authentication codes, send them back down to Sequest, and Sequest tells this U.S. sub to stand down with the authentication codes. But the the sub is a little confused because it recognizes the codes, but it doesn't recognize Sequest as an American type of sub. So uh, a little worried, the captain of this U.S. sub fires a, quote, war warning buoy. And it's a, it's a little buoy that's going to float to the surface. And when it gets there, it's going to transmit a signal that go, sends the like Pentagon to go to DEFCON 1 and basically launch nuclear war. Mm-hmm. Sequest is unable to shoot the boy down with a torpedo because it's too close to the Soviet sub, which is, you know, just some hand-waving of just, like, we need to, we need a different solution here. And as usual on Sequest, Dag would happen to be walking by in the back way around, and he, he he's, we've seen this so often, he's just walking by, he's just like, why don't you send Darwin to do it? They're like, great idea. Yeah, and I mean, I'll, I'll give them this. They have seeded uh, that noise under the water. I said that like noise, the Admiral noise. Noise under the water is the issue so they're like well what's quieter than a dolphin so and i have to say we've seen it a bunch of times but in this actual episode it's not the worst idea to send this highly intelligent uh, animal out to do this one very specific task i mean is it silly they have a dolphin aboard absolutely but if you're gonna have a dolphin aboard this is the one time he'd be useful i mean you need to use them in the episode somehow <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you could tell they don't even want to use them anymore, but uh, they send him out to essentially uh, deactivate this buoy. Yeah, yeah, he, by, by breaking the antenna off of it with his yeah. mouth. Yeah, that's right. And they're like, huzzah, way to go, Darwin. You know, no, it's great. My favorite thing, he breaks it off. The entire crew of Sequest is cheering. They've ended World War II. And it's like a big wide shot of the bridge of Sequest. And in the background of the shot, a woman in a miniskirt uniform, like she's on the original Star Trek, walks across the background and gives Dagwood a kiss on the cheek. Like, just in the oh. background. I was like, what is happening? I didn't see that. Yeah, yeah. In the background of this cheering scene, this woman just walks across the set and then gives D- uh, Dagwood a little kiss. And I'm just like, okie dokie. <laughs> maybe, there's, maybe there's, like, mini skirts on, on, uh, on the ship. Uh, well, there are for sure. I just saw one. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, with this all done... Suddenly, Sequest Reactor starts making another singularity out of nowhere because, you know, the episode's over, so they have to get everyone back to the ship. It's just very funny. It's like they know how to turn them on. It didn't seem like they needed to race back home. But for whatever reason, they're just like, oh, we need one more ticking clock. Uh, there's a new singularity growing in the reactor just suddenly after we solve the problem. Well, they're, they got to get home, right? Yeah, yeah. Commander Van Camp drives the Sequest crew on the shore back to their mini-sub on the beach. Christine and Lucas have a quick make-out session because they're hot teens and they're into each other. So before she before he leaves, they're like, let's quickly make out. And they're like, okie dokie. I love they do it in front of the dad and the dad's just like, good job, everybody. <laughs> He's, it's just funny because they just still need to have him be like, please, this all worked out. But it is weird to have this rando just like make out with your daughter in front of him. And he's like, well done. Good job, everyone. <laughs> good job, everyone. And as Christine or as Lucas leaves, Christine tells him, hey, drop by and visit me in 2032 when you get back. And he's like, oh, yeah, that was this. That was the weirdest thing. It wasn't if you can somehow get back to me in some way, maybe you can time travel again or something. Come see me again because I got the hots for you. It's like, oh, that's sweet and kind of cute. But it's like, hey, come visit me in the future when I'm going to be old. And I thought, oh, please don't do a scene where he's then going to go visit when he's old. They wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. 
and make it the weirdest part of the episode. Well, I think it's a, maybe a sign of the times that maybe Titanic was out because it felt like a really like, it's like Titanic. I'm like, it's not exactly like Titanic. It's quite different, actually. <laughs> yeah. So they, Sequest makes the portal. They make it back. They celebrate. They're like, hey, uh, uh, we did a great job. We're back in our time. And then Lucas is like, hey, I got to leave uh, some unfinished business. And they're like, yeah, we'll allow it. And then we cut to like clearly an old folks home. It's like a really no, nice no, it's a like, mansion. It's a mansion. She has a butler. She's so rich. <laughs> Well, I didn't. I it was it's an old person's place, anyways. And of course, he's gone to visit her. She's an old she's lady 88 now. Eighty-eight years old now. What I like is he shows up. He's like, "Hey, it's Lucas." She's like, "I don't know who you are." And he's like, "Remember, you spent that one day with that time traveling uh, person who wasn't a Soviet." And she's like, "Oh yeah." And then, what did you think was going to happen at that moment? Why well, they made out like I thought. They did not make out. They just hugged. But I thought the <laughs> same thing. I was sure they were going to make out. I was very disappointed. Because I really expected it to be Brittany Murphy and old person makeup, and they didn't do it, and I was so sad. <laughs> no. Um, but I was, I was, uh, was going to do the math on it. Does it make sense? Yeah, it's, she's 88 years old. Oh, I did the math on it. Old. That's how I know. Yeah. Anyway, she old. Yeah, she's quite old. She's, it's lucky she's even alive, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, I, it, that would be a very different ending. He shows up, and he's like, well, there's a grave. It's probably why she's so wealthy, just to show, just so the audience's question is like, well, she's so wealthy, of course she'd still be alive. She has all the best medicine. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, and that's the episode. It ends on that note. What an ending. Yeah, it was pretty hilarious. Anyway, let's move on to the final episode of Sequest. Here's the IMDb summary for Season 3, Episode 13, Weapons of War. I'm here to trade a Chaldao Shio class subfighter as well as information on Chaldai military structure, technology, and future plans. In exchange for what? Immediate passage out of the free zone into UEO territory. As long as the Chaldai believe I am here, they will stop at nothing to get me and their subfighter back. They go to war with the UEO over a defection. As Sequest patrols a free trade zone between the UEO and Macronesia, Lieutenant O'Neill's online romance turns out to be a defector from an elusive Asian power known as the Chowdai, a power that attacks both the UEO and Macronesia with its impressive subfighter capability. In the final adventure, one member of Sequest's crew will not live to see another day. Yeah, a, a couple things. One, that last point of one of the Sequest members dying. In the, I don't know, most anticlimactic way you could ever uh, kill someone and just like, a, eh, they're dead. But also the one thing I don't love about this season, and I know they're, they're really trying hard to establish what it is. They spend so much time just talking about these different allegiances and alliances and governments and stuff. I know it's the point of it, but it is, I find it hard to pay attention to these scenes when they're just like, and then the, this said this about, and then this, and then they want this piece of land. I'm like, all right, guys, just tell me why I'm paying attention. Yeah, yeah. You're always just like, who's going to give me the biggest tax breaks? That's who I'm voting for. I don't mean that. I just mean <laughs> in terms of the narrative of a show, it's just like, okay, just tell me who's good and bad. Who am I rooting for? No shades of gray, please. No. Well, but it can't all just be shades of like, blah. <laughs> anyway, Sequest is patrolling the 90 East Ridge Trade Zone that borders on the edges of the two undersea powers around here. Uh, the UEO is obviously one of them, but then there's Macronesia and the the Chowdai con- uh, Confederation, I think they're See, called. See, I've already lost attention. <laughs> but that's not what you're here for, because what's really happening is Piccolo's getting the boys together for a poker night. 
<laughs> yeah, he's getting the boys together for poker night. He asks uh, old uh, uh, Ted Raimi, what's his name? Tim in it, right? Yeah, Lieutenant Junior Grade Tim O'Neill. Yeah, he has Tim and he's like, hey, come join us for poker. And Tim's like, can't, got a hot date. Tony's like, how can you get a hot date? You're a nerd and we're on Sequest out of the water. And he's like, guess what? I'll be on the internet. And he's basically having like a online relationship with a woman that he can't see, but they've been speaking to each other for months. And he's spending a lot of time in his personal time developing this relationship. Yes, yes. His online girlfriend is named Kimura. She's a girl from a farming colony who speaks eight languages, has a genius IQ, laughs at all his jokes, listens to all his complaining, and never turns on her camera. Which, yeah. you know, a few red flags. <laughs> I know. I was like, man, she might seem too perfect for you. And that, that last part does not want to see you. And I like what the we do get to see them have their like conversation and they're like, you know, I really like you and I want to meet you and I can't wait for this. And he's like, come on, just like show me what you look like. She's like, no, we promised only the first time we meet. And he's like, come on. But like, uh, you know, there, I'm, I'm away here. We may not we may not happen for a long time. She's like, eh, eh, eh. And he's like, not fishy to me at all. <laughs> he doesn't believe in catfishing. He thinks everyone's no. honest on the internets. On yeah. the internets, you can't lie to someone. <laughs> yeah, but while they're having the conversation, uh, they're sort of planning their date. Yeah, they're going to meet in two hours, Jordan. Finally. Yeah, finally going to do it. It's his first date in 11 years. Yeah, so he like he's ready to go. He's vibrating. Do you think that it's 11 years including the 10 years he was like vanished from the world or do you think it, or do you think it's like he doesn't count that time period it's like 11 years of like living time that's funny that you said that i uh i guess it's he's not including the 10 times so he hasn't had a date in 21 years <laughs> um but it's funny so he's they're planning for this date he's obviously very excited um but just then there's sort of like uh and there's an emergency signal uh, that comes through and so there's like an all hands on deck he has to go back to the bridge of the ship to do, um, do his job to handle this whatever this emergency is yeah the a ueo outpost in the region has been attacked and destroyed before its defenses could even activate and it appears the attack wasn't by a macronesia so it only leaves one option the chow die but they haven't been seen in 15 years since they destroyed the moi since they destroyed the moi tin ye confederation and sealed off the andaman sea that was almost as long as it's been since uh, Tim had a date. It's true. Last time Tim had a date. <laughs> they were seen in the area. <laughs> um, UEO did have a report from a Section 7 spy recently that the Chowdai had developed a new stealth technology. So maybe they use that to circumnavigate the, uh, the defense mechanisms. But, they're, but when they call the UEO, the UEO says, well... It might not have been an unprovoked attack. We have been using this outpost to do secret comm surveillance on the Chowdai Empire, and maybe they just strike strike back after they found out we were spying on them. Yeah, and it's like, oh, nice, nice, thanks for letting us know. Which it does seem to be uh, Hudson. Most of his character this episode is just like, do I have to deal with this? And they're like, yeah. And then he'd be like, oh, okay. And then later on he'd be like, do I have to deal with this? They're like, yeah. He's like, okay. <laughs> well, UEO has now assigned Sequest to stay in the region just to guard against any further attacks by the Chowdai. And this means O'Neill's date with Kimura is going to be canceled. So he goes mm -hmm. to call her and just tell her, it's like, I'm not going to make it to the farm calling in time. Um, but Kimura, she can't wait. In fact, she's already stolen a sub from the farm and is coming to see him. She just needs him to give her the coordinates to Sequest, the highly confidential coordinates. Yeah. Um, Tim, to his credit... He hymns and haws. He's not sure if he should tell her that. So she's just like, well, what if I told you my sub's running out of fuel and I can't make it back? Will you tell me the coordinates then? Yeah, and I, I like this. So he's basically like, I'm 
going to do the only thing I can do, which is steal little shuttlecraft, and I'm going to go meet her. Well, is it technically stealing? He's using his off-duty shuttle pass, and it's technically uh, not a problem if you look at it from a technical aspect. <laughs> yeah, he knows he's do- what he's doing is wrong, and I can't believe I'm saying this, but I agree with Tony, because Tony shows up and he's like, are you just stealing this? And he's like, he gives he gives that. He gives his little, like, semantic dance. And there's like he's like, yeah, it seems like you're stealing, and you're going to be uh, kicked out of the military, which you've spent your whole life uh, uh, working in. And he's just like, I got to do it. And then Tony's like, all right, I'm your butt. I'll come with you. Yeah, yeah. Tony's going to wingman for him. Even if he's going AWOL during a yellow alert, Tony's got his back. Yeah, yeah. And so they go they go into the water. And the whole this whole thing here is just like, I didn't know if I got the sense that, like, they know how sketchy this is. Like, they must know how sketchy this is. Yeah, oh, they do know. I mean, Sequest starts immediately hailing them about, like, who's on this ship and what is going on. And they're kind of ignoring the hails. Yeah, but while while they're doing it, they're, it Tim's just like, we got to keep going, got to keep going, we got to find her. And then a, like, very, very fast and hard-to-track ship sort of starts coming towards them. Yeah, Jordan, it's got the speed of a hypervelocity torpedo. I mean, that's fast so fast yeah that's that's yeah it's really fast it's it's faster than the the date uh forget it i was gonna make a really bad joke okie dokie um it's it's a sub fighter from the chow empire and it looks just like a chig ship from space above and beyond <laughs> it sort of does doesn't it um and a, a the the pilot of the ship hails sequest and when she appears on the screen she's wearing a 70s style battlestar galactica helmet she really is and it's what i like is that that uh i don't know if it's here i think it is or later on but like the helmet like has like a front flap and it just like comes up and down like a garage door when needed yeah yeah the visor just goes up and down the garage door yeah and uh the it's a chow dai defector looking to come to the ueo a woman named lieutenant commander kimura oh yeah. no tim's been fooled <laughs> yeah i mean tim come on now you know if you just told your buddies over poker they would have warned you about this yeah, he could just be like, so this girl won't ever see me online, but she tells me she's beautiful. They'd be like, Tim, come on, man. <laughs> but yes, as I've said, she wants asylum with the UEO. And in exchange for that, she's going to give them info on the Chow Dai and give them one of these magical stealth fighter ships they've developed. Um, she kind of explains, like, she's been catfishing O'Neill for months on end using a VPN so he couldn't figure out where she was calling from. Yeah, yeah, and she's, and she's, she's pretty cold about it, huh? She's just like... Yeah, I just, like, it's not really his fault. I, like, catfished him the whole time. They're like, how could he possibly know? And she's like, well, he did A, B, C, D, so he just didn't know. So sucks for him, I guess, that he fell in love with me. Yeah, yeah. She's just like, I took all these precautions so he wouldn't be able to figure yeah. out who I was. Plus, he's kind of dumb, so it was easy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, she's not terribly nice about it. I, I want to say the one thing. When she first arrives on the ship, they I just love the effect of, like, she's Darth Vader or something. She's wearing, like, an all-white costume and this white mask. And there's just, like, dry ice smoke all around her. I'm like, why would that be there? <laughs> just very atmospheric i guess but it's really misty on the sequence yes that's right essentially when they she suspects that the ueo outpost that was destroyed it was probably her squad trying to find her after she defected this is what she calls a chow dai diplomacy just straight attacks and um sequest needs to get her out of the region immediately or they'll be attacked as well but when they call the ueo and kind of walk through this proposal for this defection uh, UEO won't approve Sequest leaving the region. They need Sequest there to defend it from further Chowdai attacks, and they'll send basically a transport at some point to come get Kimura. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So she's the whole the really thing has come is that the side she's left is very violent, uh, very um, the real protagonist. They don't think, they just fire. She has all this stuff, but she knows she's doing 
something in terms of diplomacy she's doing something that's very wrong which is she's defecting to another side but she's like i got all this stuff so like it's worth it but you need to keep me safe and i do like that hudson's just like no this is terribly dangerous i don't want her on nor do i think this is a good idea and i guess it's the president of the eu what is they called ueo the ueo he's just like yeah you'll do it what do you think ueo stands for jordan ueo underwater exploratory ocean united earth oceans yep as close <laughs> they do have some fun scenes here throughout the episode a little bit but they they look kind of the chowdai's advanced technology like these sub fighters are like lighter and faster than their subs but less armored as a result but it's because there's like such superior subs and yeah. we find that kimura has an electronic web attached to her cerebral cortex which allows her to control her sub with her mind so uh they're quite advanced apparently ueo had tried to develop the same kind of technology but it violated too many human rights so they never did it well yeah and she explains later on that like i can't remember what the number is but a number of people have died from this this surgery and this um, connection to the ship so it's like a very dangerous uh very high death rate on this thing so but obviously the result is and they think it's um the ends justify the means is that they have these ships that can fly so quickly and be maneuvered in such ways because they're not flown in a normal way um people do it's just like instinctual so they're like oh big deal people are are pawns it doesn't really matter yeah, exactly, exactly. And and while they're kind of like getting waiting around with uh, Kimura, they pick up some things on their sensors um, uh, that, that there seems to be some skirmishes happening over the Macronesia border too. Um, uh, they, they seem to determine that uh, it looks like the Chowdai is looking over there and maybe attacking a few Micronesian ships and outposts at the same time, trying to find the missing Kimura. And Kimura doesn't just want to sit here and wait to die. So they did a bad job searching her, I guess, when they put her in her cell because she has this little like button yeah. on her that she uses to spoof the security camera in her in her room. So when the guards come to bring her food, she gets a drop on them. She escapes. She she beats up poor Lucas in the sub hangar and steals her sub back and takes off. Yeah, yeah, and it was this all happened really fast, and it it did feel like. I don't know if it was from another episode, but it feels like there was a lot of cool things they could have done that this wasn't really about, like her sort of being this like super assassin or something like they kind of hinted that, but it's not really what the episode's about. Like the morality of creating this super pilot that's connected to the ship. They kind of hinted that, but it's not really what the episode's about. Um, it's more about the defection and the danger that is inherent, inherently raised from her just being there. That's what this is about. But I do think there was a few other things they could have, maybe there's just not enough time, but maybe a few other things they could have focused on that I thought were kind of cool. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question because the plot of it basically is like Sequest just has to sit there until they're finally attacked. And then you're like, just have to wait and see if they survive the attack. Like, that's the that's the danger yeah. of the episode. And it's not that exciting to yeah, wait agreed. for an attack. Yeah, yeah. But she's got an all white suit, so she's got that going for her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She escapes. She gets her sub. They send uh, our ace pilot from Sequest, J.J. Fredericks, after her. But, you know, Kimura is such a good pilot and her ship is so fast. She's not able to stop her. And Kimura's only stopped when they bump into a Macronesian ship that happens to be driving by. And that ship EMPs Kimura. Yeah, that's right. Um, and... The, you know, we know the Macronesians are the bad guys, and, like, there's a small confrontation where, like, the captain of the ship calls Sequest, and he's just, like, super impressed to be meeting the Captain Hudson, and as a result, he's kind of like, well, you've got me outgunned, and you're a very cool guy, so I'm just going to let you guys go on your way. <laughs> I like that, though, the scene, he's like, Hudson, he's like, it's really an honor to meet you, and Hudson's like, it's not an honor to meet you. I was like, geez, man, a little pleasantry <laughs> doesn't hurt. 
Maybe it's like when you meet a celebrity whose thing is like they're so rude and it's so funny, and he's just like putting on a show for this guy. <laughs> yeah, he's Sean Penn. <laughs> um, what I don't like about the Macronesian Jordan is how can we never meet anyone with an Australian accent from New Australia? I just was hoping this guy would be Australian. <laughs> well, I have to say, there is a little bit of like uh, the region. There's a little bit of ethnicity happening. I kind of wish that it was it was more vague about everything. Like you're right. Like I wish almost like accents were hard to distinguish in different places because it's the future. And because these uh, country and nation and continent lines have, have all been drawn in such different ways, things would have been developing differently over the last few decades, you know, even with accents. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even in this episode, the, the Chow Dai empire is uh, quite clearly like, all asian yes a little ill-defined it's it's they never lean into it too hard where it gets too uncomfortable but there's this like weird thing where just like the there's an evil asian empire out there i'm like okie dokie that's that's what i mean it's like it's right on that line and maybe you and i are not the people to be safe or offended or not but it would have been interesting if when we do see the person who's like going like trying to capture he wasn't clearly asian so that there's more ambiguity uh, ambiguity and it's not just like evil asians you know yeah i mean they don't lean into it too hard but like it definitely is like as you're watching you're just like oh this is a real tight line you're about to toe <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah anyway um they get kimura back to the ship she's a little injured they end because they're her the mp white knocked out her uh, matrix in her brain of electronic webbing or whatever um which is fine. And it gives us, we finally get a scene where like O'Neill confronts Kimura over her deception. And it's, we don't need to talk about it long, but it's very funny. Like O'Neill goes in and he's like, I'm hurt that you would lie to me. And she just points out the absurd fantasy she created for him and how it's dumb he couldn't see through it. I'm just like, yeah, fair. Yeah, it's funny because she's very honest about it, quite cold. And I think there's a pretty good scene from Ted Raimi, which is basically like someone telling you to your face, you're stupid, but you can't disagree with it because. The evidence is also being presented, and the only conclusion you could draw is, yeah, you're right. That's horrible to admit. And I think he did a good job in that scene because there was a little bit of like, I know you're right, but it also is hurtful to hear this. And for, especially for someone who I have feelings for still, um, but it's just like he has to just kind of like be like pouty and dismissive because what else can you do when you're proven to be dumb? I did like that uh, Ted Raimi got an episode. I was happy to see him Agreed. Kind of for us to watch an episode where it's Ted Raimi based. Yeah, and he's a good actor. He's pretty good. And it's like, it is one of those funny things you mentioned before, like this season giving some characters a little more time. You go, oh, who would have thought you could actually learn and find these characters interesting if you gave them more than just them to say like, aye, aye, Captain. <laughs> you know? It's true. It's true. Um, the episode keeps going, though. A Sequest gets a distress call from that same Macronesian ship that just left. The Chowdoy are busy destroying them. So they uh, send out some fighters to try to, like, help them or, or, you know, get some survivors. And they send out J.J. Fredericks, our ace pilot, and Tony Piccolo to, like, fly out on some uh, fighters to take on those Chowdoy fighters. Um, Piccolo manages to shoot one down before his ship is, like... In, uh, like damage and he's he has to i've never seen this before but they've got little uh, escape pods apparently that shoot out of the subs they he they, yeah. does a fighter escape but it's underwater yeah and then fredericks also manages to shoot down one of the chow Dai subs and she's like i got one and then her ship explodes and she's dead <laughs> i know that's what i mean it was so bizarre because not that like this character was so well loved or we we spent so much time with her maybe it would have been different if we had spent the last 13 episodes with her but she was just like i got one oh no and she blows up and it shot in such a 
anticlimactic, perfunctory, not cinematic way that it's like they're saying we don't care about this character and it didn't it didn't have any weight to it which i thought was so weird because it wouldn't be that even like a musical cue would have helped you know yeah there is no fanfare and the explosion that wipes her out it's so quick and perfunctory to the point that i'm just like well she's not dead because like like it's not even clear she's died. Yeah, it's just like boom, and you're like oh, okay, and then like later it's like no, she's dead, she died. Yeah, the end of the episode we see Hudson like entering yeah. her room out, and I'm just like, and there's no emotion to that either. He's just like throwing her shit in a box. It's I mean, there's something to be said about the realism of it, and maybe that's what they're going for. That sort of like d- death doesn't have to be glorious, and it doesn't have to be like you're saying with fanfare. But this is TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, real sad send off to poor JJ Fredericks. Yeah. Yeah, we hardly knew her. Um, Sequest looks doomed, of course. Um, so Kimura's, Kimura's just like, I'm going to give myself up to them to save you. I'm an honorable person. I told you this would happen, but like, what am I going to do? I'm not going to kill you all over it. And as she's on her way to get her subfighter to go out and meet her meet her uh, Chowdai confederates, uh, O'Neill sneaks up on her and like knocks her unconscious and then uh, shoots her ship out uh, her sub out on autopilot. And as soon as it kind of like floats out of Sequest, the other Chowdai ships just exploded immediately and then like fly away. Like they, their mission's accomplished. They killed the defector, destroyed the ship. They don't have any further questions. Yeah, and it's because they they know that the ship can only fly with her in it. So. They don't even need to check because it can't fly without the person. That's the whole part of the uh, the autopilot thing is the is the great little ruse. And I thought, that's pretty good. Yeah, sure. I mean, it works. And then we cut back and like they're like, oh, uh, our sensors say that Kamira is still on the ship. She never got on. And then they show o- Tim O'Neill swimming around in the dolphin tubes and popping out of a pool. And I was just like, why is he in the dolphin tubes? Why was he swimming in there? It was he was the one who created the autopilot. And he had to go into the water to do that. I don't know why, though. But he's he's the one who created the autopilot to have them go. But why? I, none of it makes. Why did he? Sw- I just didn't understand why he was swam from the sub bay through the tubes. And he like it wasn't even like like I was like, oh, is he going to say I had to put Kamora in the water to shield her body signs or something? But he was. She wasn't with him. She left her, I guess, laying on the ground in a tunnel somewhere. I I didn't understand what was happening when he popped out of that water. <laughs> Uh, he had to go in the uh, the water tube. That's why. <laughs> anyway, the UEO at the end of the episode grants Kimura citizenship. She's uh, She's got asylum. She's got citizenship to the UEO. And then she immediately enlists on Sequest to replace J.J. Fredericks as a regular member of the, of the show. Yeah, and they're like, we'll give you a uniform, but it doesn't have sleeves. And they're just like, all right, you're a, you're a crew member now. And I get what they were thinking. They're like, this one character is not working. We're going to replace it with a different character who has another interesting uh, history and background. Um, also, there'll be an inbuilt tension because this previous love story. I-, I get what they did, but it's obviously very unfortunate. It's your last episode. And also just everything about the way they did it was so peculiar. And it's just like it just felt so much like rubbing uh, chalk off a board. We were like, what? Okay. Yeah, very funny. I mean, obviously very funny because it's the final episode. So, the, like, the actress, uh, what's her name? Elise, um, I don't remember now. doesn't matter. The actress playing J.J. Uh, Fredericks, 
you know, sad to see the script where your character's suddenly getting killed off, but not so bad when you realize it's also the last episode of the series, it turns out. Yeah. You, can you imagine watching, like, I don't know, whatever your favorite show is, and they just kill one of the major characters, but in the last episode? I mean, you do that all the time, like, in a finale, but it just, like, this isn't the finale. It just, like, happens in the last episode. Yeah. Anyways, and that's, and that's, and then we basically get a shot of, like, Sequest, like, not quite, like, riding off the sunset, but sort of, like, sailing away from the camera. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not, uh, it's not nothing magical. They didn't know this was the last episode. It's just kind of the end of an episode. Yeah, and as you said, what's his face was cleaning out the cabin, but it doesn't even matter because it, it, it's not like he was even sad. He's just like, well, gotta clean this out. Yeah, he's like tossing stuff in a box, and po- Tony Piccolo comes by. He's like, I thought you might be sad, so I thought I'd come help. He's like, No, everything's in the box. There's nothing left to do. Bye. I'm like, that what? This is this is the send off. Yeah, that was it. Anyway, that that's it. That's the end of Sequest. We we did it, Jordan. We got to the end of our speed run. One of the most peculiar shows, not even so much in the concept, but in the amount of retools and cast changes and tone changes and behind the scenes friction. Like how this show did as many episodes as it did is kind of amazing. And the uh, evolution of the show, uh, better or worse, was I think more than we've seen in uh, many shows. Anyways, I don't know if it's the most we've ever seen. It's been a weird show to watch and like tough to keep track of because so much is constantly yeah. shifting. This speed run version of it has made it like even more crazy because just like we're jumping around, things are shifting on a dime. It's just like a wild, wild show to keep track of. Well, and you said it before, before we were talking before we started recording, and it's like it feels like we're doing a pilot every time. And it does. It's like you know you need to introduce characters. You need to introduce the kind of what the show is about and what it's gonna be like and the tone. It's like We've just never had to do that before where it's like sometimes we have, you know, a character change or something like a partner dies. But this is just like, OK, and now Sequest does this. And now Sequest is about fighting aliens. Now Sequest is about a political alliances. You're just like this show. is It's wild. One thing's for sure. As it goes further and further, there's less and less Darwin to the point that there's no Darwin in the final episode. <laughs> I did notice that. And you know what the thing is, though? They, they, I think it would have been a hard thing to do, but they should have either like released him or killed him or something because he has no purpose in this this version of the show. What if in this episode Darwin swam out during the Chowdhury attack and just exploded? And they're like, "Well, that's it. Uh, don't worry about it." Like they didn't even have any fan feathers. Like, huh? No. What they should have done is they should have fooled them by putting Darwin in the ship, and they read that there's a body in in it, and they're like, "Do they just blow it up?" They're like, "Oh well, it's just Darwin." He doesn't Tim have a gets, soul. Tim swims through the tube and pops out. He's like, I put Darwin on the show. <laughs> and then just as he say, you just see his body parts float up to the surface. They cut back to Hudson and he just shrugs. Yeah. <laughs> no, it would be him clearing out uh, he clearing out his tube of his his uh, his possessions. It's got a wet cardboard box and a bunch of like floating <laughs> toys in it. <laughs> yeah, this is a much better show. All right, Jordan. Let's rate the final two episodes. What do you want to give Second Chance? Uh, I quite liked it. Again, I don't think it's perfect. I think it could have been a little more fun, but I did like that they got out of Sequest and everything kind of at least fit in the place it was supposed to. I, I enjoyed it. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 10. 7 out of 10. Yeah, it is. Sequest, I feel, works best when it's kind of just like an also ran like cable sci fi show where it's just yeah. like. It's just aping the beats of better shows. But you know what? You know the crew. You know the cast. It's a kind of something you throw on and just, like, let it happen to you. And this is what it is. It's, like, it's a, it's a perfectly functional time travel episode. It yeah. doesn't make any sense when you, like, just like all Sequest <laughs> episodes, the plot makes no sense when you break it down. But, like, it feels 
like an episode of a show. It's a new version of it, but like it's yeah. it's just another crazy adventure they're on. Don't think about it too hard. I'm also gonna go seven. <laughs> yeah. And what did you think about uh, for the second episode? Because I'll say this: uh, I I'm gonna give it a six point five. I didn't like it co- as much. I don't think it's a bad episode. I just in comparison to the other episode, I wasn't as interested in in this. I felt there was less characters to have spent time with. We spent more time with this new cast member. And I just I wasn't as interested in the actual plot. But I think it was pretty well done for what it for what it was. It was like at least it's an interesting way of introducing a new character, I guess. But I, I don't know. I, I could have spent a little more time with the, the characters that we already know. Fair enough. I mean, you know, it's always hard because we're jumping around. So we're just happen to end up on one where there's a new character. But I think, you know, a part of this is going to be just like how you feel about the kind of sci-fi you like to ingest. Because this one is yeah. just a very military sci-fi in this episode. That's what, you know, the third season has shifted to. Though we've seen in the third episode, there's been like a very sciencey one with microbes mm-hmm. and there's a time travel one that's a little more sciencey. It's just, you know, you're going to get a few episodes that are like very militaristic. And this one happens to be one of those episodes. I, I don't think it, yeah, I think like the time travel one, you know, if you break down the plot and like there's all this like stuff about the Chow Dai, like how much does any of this make sense? Who knows? It's like it's all just being made up on the spur of the moment. To the point that they're like, we're going to kill a character and replace them. And we're going to do it in the same 30 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows why that is good or bad. But I, I kind of feel the same way. I'm like, this is such an also ran that like, I'm kind of just willing to like, let it wash over me and go on, go on the ride. I do think it's a little weaker. I mean, it's hard to say. I think they're both weak, but they're both just like yeah. easy to watch in some ways. So I'm just torn. Like, I kind of want to go 6.5, but like, then I should probably go 6.5 on the last one too. So I guess I'll just keep it at a seven. Okay. And and uh, I think to sort of to your point about just letting it kind of wash over you and, and some things don't quite make sense. This is this third season for all intents and purposes is a new show and it's, what the show's first season should have been. This would be like, you would have forgiven this all because you'd be like, hey, by the time they get to third season, they were doing some really interesting sci-fi, military, sort of futuristic episodes. Those first season ones are pretty funny, but it just happens to be that they like burned all their goodwill for two years previous. No, it's very true. I mean, it's hard to say. Like, who knows what would happen if this was the first season, but I do think it probably survives a little longer or at least is gets its best chance if this or season yeah. one because at least it's cohesive like you know uh, maybe it doesn't survive though like we watched a better version of a military sci-fi show with space above beyond and it didn't survive more than one season Agreed. so you know maybe there's no appetite for it really in the end of the day but like this is the closest it's been to cohesive anyway yeah um, jordan do you want to hear the final rating for a sequest our final overall speed run rating yeah let's pump it into the uh the old uh continuum drag computer I'll, I'll type it in. I won't pump it in. Pump it in. No, uh, uh, what was it, what did he say? Uh, scram in? Scram it? Scram it. Scram it in. <laughs> the final rating, Jordan, is 5.86. 5.86. It's it's higher than some, not even some, a lot of shows we've seen. Do you think that's I mean, a fair representation? It's really in the sweet spot of shows we watch. Just the real low, middling five. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but it's, but it's, Look, we didn't take the escape pod. We got through the entire show. It didn't drop below a five, which a lot of shows do. But yes, I mean, saying something's a five and a half as opposed to a, a 4.9 isn't, isn't a huge compliment. But but I think, I don't know. It's it's hard to say if, if it's accurate representation. You almost want to break this down by season, you know? 
because there's three different shows and three different seasons. Well, do you recommend watching this then? Like, is that something you'd recommend someone watch? Uh, you know what's funny? Uh, from these speed runs we've done, I would recommend someone do it the exact way we did. If you're interested, I'd be like, pick some random episodes from the season and then get a sense of what the show is. Like, there's, I think there are some fun episodes and some interesting ones. I mean, I would personally say, unless you're like a sadist, don't watch the second season. But, uh, but you liked it, so there's people who can understand and appreciate the sort of hacky corniness of it, uh, and for what it is. But uh, yeah, I, I would say if if you want to do it, pick some fun episodes and watch it. Um, I, I I wouldn't say you're gonna have a great time, but if you're interested, do a speed run. <laughs> well, Jordan, if you were to ask me that question, which you didn't. Um, I would say no. I don't think you should no, watch huh? Sequest. Uh, I just gave to episode seven, and I think at the end of us watching all of Sequest, I hate Sequest. Yeah, do that's you? That's my final takeaway. Is like I think I hate this show. Yeah, I don't. I don't hate Sequest. I feel it's um, it's just it's like a stillborn show. I think there was a lot of problems, and I'm not saying the concept would have was so strong that if it you know it could have worked with different people i just think there was a lot of problems some internal some external and and everything in between and i just think this thing was destined to fail from the beginning i don't think it's a bad show like it's not it's not like offensive or like uh mean-spirited or anything it's just like it's just a kind of forgettable show which is i guess a sin yeah it just yeah i don't know i just didn't walk away with a good taste in my mouth for secret. I think mm. I like the episodes we watch sometimes. Like I definitely like have given it good ratings, but at the end of the day, I'm just like when I think back on my experience, I'm just like I don't think I liked it. I don't think I liked it. Well, I won't be nostalgic for it. I won't be like, oh, I wish we had watched more. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But Jordan, there's always a chance to watch more. <laughs> oh no! Please no. There's bonus episodes for charity, Jordan. Now that we finished our speed run, mm-hmm. maybe. In doing that, we've missed one of your favorite episodes or an episode that you think is so bananas we need one, to watch One it. of those demon possession episodes. The back-to-back double-headed yeah. demon possessions. Uh, there's an opportunity to do that. We've got bonus episodes for charity. And what that is is we've got a list of charities on our website as selected by past guests. And if you want to make a donation to a charity... Uh, we'll go back. We'll watch an episode of your choosing, whether it be from a Sequest episode we've missed, another another one of the speed runs we've done that we haven't watched an episode, or even an older show where we just took the escape pod and didn't get to watch them all. If there's like an episode somewhere in the mix back there that you're like, it'd be fun to hear a bonus episode about that. You can make a donation to charity, and we'll go back and like record a special episode just about that. Uh, all, all for you for that donation. Um, you can get all the details. Continuumdrag.podbean.com is the website. There's a link on there for bonus episodes for charity that explains all the details, kind of like suggested donations and how to like find the charities. And of course, if you have any questions, you can always email us here, continuumdrag.gmail.com. I'm happy to happy to answer those for you. Um, but that wraps it up for this episode. So if you go to Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, at continue drag the handle there you'll get to see some final clips from sequest that incredibly cinematic death of uh that one character mm, I, I don't know we'll see i don't know if i pulled that one <laughs> we'll definitely see some time travel though oh yeah okay but that's it this is the end of sequest we're putting it to bed so listener thank you for joining us under the sea and jordan i'll see you next week would you sell <laughs> would you say we're telling uh sequest to scram it yeah man scram it <laughs> scram it do it like Darwin. Scram it. Continue 
Continuum Drag is recorded in Toronto, Ontario and Seoul, South Korea. Theme music by James Rick Seedler. Produced by Jordan Dalek and Luke Black. Special thanks to Aaron Younes. <laughs>